Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. In this episode of Octa Non Verba, we hear part two of my interview with Jay Ferrugia, master fitness coach, host of the Renegade Radio podcast, and Transformation King. In part one, Jason shared how to focus on the minimum effective dose for training, the importance of rest on sustainability, and creating habits and support systems that foster long-term success. You can hear part one on episode 65 of Octa Non Verba. To learn more about Jay and his Relentless 90 Challenge, go to Relentless90.com. And now here's part two of my interview with the legendary Jason Perugia. And then in that place, you also took that knowledge. And I think that people, especially now, underestimate the power of that one-to-one coaching experience. When I coach people now, if I'm coaching an athlete, a CEO, a leader, even like an actor, these people are usually not getting the real answers. They're usually so far removed that they have a lot of yes men around them that will kind of tell them what they want to hear. And when they have a coach, it's right in front of them. That's like, no, you're bullshitting yourself. No, this is a lie. No, you're corroborating this belief. No, you're defending this excuse and you doing that one to one. When I was teaching martial arts, it was the same thing because you've been there before. You've been in that athlete's shoes before. So you know probably what's going on in their head where they're saying, where you can feel by their body language. They don't want to do this because of X, Y, and Z, or they're trying to make an, an excuse, or you have to ring them back. And that's where the beauty of what you do and that master coaching really comes in because you've experienced it so often, you can anticipate it. You can see it. You can get in front of right, it. Right. You know that this athlete's very yep. aggressive, so you're going to have to actually tell them to rein this back before you give them this so they don't hurt themselves. Or you have this one that's not very aggressive, so you have to like pump them up before you get in there and say, listen, you have to attack this bar or you're going to get hurt on this lift, right? Yeah, And that's yep. this kind of stuff that you can't get from a, an online video or a VHS video, if you will. So, so one thing you said actually goes back to what I didn't touch upon. When we were talking about the, the importance of your friends, your crew, your, your inner circle is, you know, you talked about ha- having an honest coach to give you that feedback that you won't get. But the kind of friends that you want in your life will do that for you, too, which is that's how you know you're running with the right circle. And you, you have to be, you know, you have to reciprocate. You have to be able to also give that feedback to your friends and you have to in various ways, let them know that you're open to it. You want it because you want to get better. But it, it kind of becomes an assumed thing if you're right, if you're with the right people anyway. But for example, like whenever I go speak somewhere, usually at least one or two of my closest friends are there. I, I tell them before I go on stage and then when I get off, I go, all right, bro, let's, you know, in a few minutes, let's just go in the back where it's fresh in your mind. Tell me all the things that I need to do better next time. Now tell me the things that I did great. Because, you know, as a speaker, 20 people, 100 people are going to come up to you go, dude, that was fucking awesome, blah, blah, blah which is great. It feels good. It's a huge ego stroke. It's awesome. I love it, but it's not going to help us get better next time. So I, where, where did I screw this? And I do the same thing. Like for example, one of my closest friends named Luca Hosobar. So he grew up in Slovenia, Eastern European. He's stereotypically like humorous, not a big <laughs> thing there, right? 
he's worked so hard at it, and I'm so proud of him over the years. And, and my friend Mike has like the greatest sense of humor ever. We've been friends for 30 years, super quick witted, and we just try to one up each other all the time. And he's, you know, now we all spend a lot of time together. And now I'm going off on 50 tangents. But w- one time, Luca, no, I said to Luca, probably three years after the three of us ha- started hanging out so much, I go, dude, I got to be honest with you, your timing and your sense of humor and your punchlines and everything has gotten exponentially better. And he goes, dude, coming from you two guys, that's like the best compliment I've ever gotten. Oh, so anyway, so he was on stage one day, right? And he was going to speak the next day as well. We were in, he was dropping me off at the hotel. We're sitting in his car outside. I said, look, I, I saw when you tried to tell those funny stories and you tried to tell a t- couple jokes, it was out of your comfort zone. So you kind of rushed the punchline. You didn't, you didn't do the things you normally do. So I challenged him, which I would want him to do for me. And I would want anyone to do for me. And I said, look, tomorrow, you're fucking Dave Chappelle. Like, I, you, we, you know, you know, you can do this. Like, just get up there. Like, he's comfortable being aggressive and being a savage and shit like that, which I love. But everybody has something that's out of their comfort zone, right? So, and he's comfortable being hilarious around us, but in front of two, 300 people on stage, it's a new thing. Like, you know, you get up in front of people and have the expectation that they're going to laugh. Like, stand up comedy is the hardest thing in the world, you know? So, we just sat there, the two of us in the car for 30 minutes. And I was like, here's what I want you to do here. Here's what I want you to do here. I know you could fucking do it. I'm going to be there. We're going to go over it before. Like, you know that you, you, you rush through that punchline. Don't do that tomorrow. All these things. And he went up and crushed it the next day. And I'm getting goosebumps now thinking about it because it's one of the proudest moments. You know, when you love someone that much and you see them dominate, it's amazing. And so I'll do the same thing for all of my friends and they'll do the same thing for me, which I love and appreciate that so much. And that's how you know you're with the right crew. And nobody gets offended by it. Everyone's like, yeah, dude, tell me, bring it on. I want to hear it, you know? And again, it's from people that you respect. So that that's yeah. where it means a lot more. And they're going to tell you, investing in a coach, that's very important. I, you and I both do the same things with that. But even that coach may not know you as well as, like you said, your inner circle. And they're the ones that will see the pattern evolving that we don't see or that we don't want to see. So they're the ones that, again, it's called a blind spot for a reason. If I'm pulling into traffic and I get a horn, it's not like I meant to pull in front of that person. It was a genuine blind spot. And there's no other way for us to find those things. Yeah. And then, and then again, back, back to the thing about coaching. Yeah, I mean, it's always you can't see your own stuff. Even if you know it, even if you read it a million books, and even if you coach it, and even if you see it, sometimes it's hard to change it and take action. So you just need somebody else to come in and simplify it. It doesn't have to be like this 17-point Einstein plan. It's like, hey, here's what you're doing. It's too much. Let's simplify it. Like You and I could do that for each other better than we could do it for ourselves, right? If you said, Jay, here's this. Can you simplify this for me? Yeah, no problem. And if I said the same thing to you, yeah, no problem. And then we'd both be like, it was so obvious. But you know what I mean? But it, but that's what you need that. Like I just hired a, a new business coach and I'm telling him these things and every answer he, not every answer, of course, maybe at least 50% of the answers he gives me, I know, maybe 70%. I know, but it's just the affirmation. It's just you handing out off the reins to someone and saying, yo, tell me what to do. I need to be told what to do because every human being needs that. We need some accountability. You know, Michael Jordan had Phil Jackson and Derek Jeter had uh, Joe Torre. Like everybody has a coach and a mentor at some point. You should. You know, what's funny too is if you, if you are a coach or a consultant or a trainer or whatever, you teach, whatever, uh, I fully, I fully 100% believe that you need to invest in that. You need to invest in coaches, consultants, trainers, whatever, because then you're self-sabotaging your own business because you're kind of putting it out into the universe that you don't believe in what you're selling. So that's going to fail. And then also it's good because two, 
Whenever you go into a coaching relationship, there's always a nervousness and apprehension. And I didn't think I would get it because, again, due to 2020 and the, and the craziness, like I hadn't had a coach in a while too long. Like I like to have at least once a year for a block of 90 days or six months, I would like to be paying somebody to, in some realm, you know, often more than that. But it had been a little longer. And when we first started working together, there was like a little bit of nervousness and there was like just any, any of the feelings that a client would have working with a new coach that you lose sight of sometimes if you're not being coached, if you're only the coach. And I was like, oh, this helps me see things better. And just from paying somebody and having just a couple conversations, it helped me kind of be better on my end as a coach, you know, and understand what the client is going through. Maybe the, the apprehension, the apprehensions that they have, the excuses they might be making, the fears that they might have. Yeah, that's And like you said, pain is so key, right? You have to have skin in the game. Uh, again, I can bleed onto the page for a book or I can put my heart and soul on the stage when I speak. But if that person isn't invested, literally, they're not going to take that stuff to heart. They're not going to apply it. And it's heartbreaking if you're trying to give everything that you possibly can and that person's not doing it. That's why, again, coaching the way you are one-on-one or the way that I coach, it's the same thing. I'm not trying to build a big, huge group. I coach people one-on-one and that's it because those people believe it. I'm charging them quite a bit. But they also have a huge group of two or 300 people in the company, more than that sometimes. And their actions truly speak that. So now when you see the rest of their C-suite executives saying, hey, they said, I'm getting better with this, this, and this. Thank you. And now that trickles down. You're affecting every person there, their family, their inner circle. So if you want to make true change, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's the way you do it because it's that quality, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, what you're talking about, it's so important, like skin in the game and investing. And the other day, somebody asked me, what should you look for in a coach? Or how do you decide who to hire as a coach? And just off the top of my head, the first thing I thought of was whoever charges the most. Like what you're not comfortable yep. with, like push yourself to do that. Because the more skin you have in the game, the more you're going to put into it. Like a $10 ebook, you're not going to follow it. A $100 thing, you're not nope. going to do anything. You know, and I was with a, with, with a friend one time. I remember exactly where we were having brunch in New York. And we were having a conversation about some, some year-long program that somebody we knew kind of friendly with, not close friends, but was releasing a, a, a new program or mastermind or whatever that he, he was like, I think it'd be pretty cool. All right, I'm sorry. I thought it was going to be pretty cool. I was going to be interested in it, but it was only 10 grand for the year. And I knew it would be terrible based on that. Now, it, it could be whatever's in your comfort zone, right? Like five grand, it could be 50 grand, it could be whatever. But he just knew for what he wanted and what he'd gone through. Like this is someone who's gone through really good high level programs and he just knew like, oh, that's not for me because he, he's, he's from experience. He knows I have to be out of my comfort zone. So for him, it might have had to have been 25 or 50 grand or something like that. You know, there's power in that for sure. There absolutely is. And what does that do that? What does that do as a coach? If I'm charging somebody $500 a month, I'm, I'm human. I'm going to phone it in. I'm probably not going to give them what I need to give them. And that doesn't help me. That's disrespecting them. Subconsciously, they pick up on that. They don't put it into play. And now we have this unhappy marriage where nobody wins. Exactly. Exactly. But if you're charging a lot more and that person is invested, it forces you as a coach. It makes you elevate. You're, you're trying to question yourself. What can I give this person more? How am I failing yeah. this person? And that way yeah. everybody's winning. And that's the tide that rises all boats. But unless totally, you do yeah. that, you're never going to get to that place. Yeah. It forces the, yeah, exactly. Like you said, it forces the coach and the client to level up. And for the, for the client, it puts, it puts a sense of urgency. Like if you're paying someone five, six grand a month or whatever it might be, like that's a gun in your head. That's urgency. I want to get this done. And also what it, what it does, like from my perspective, now, now that, that I'm working with, with, with this coach, I know some of his other high level clients. So being competitive, 
I'm like, oh, I'm going to get that done faster than this guy did. I'm going to get that done better than this guy did. I know who he's working with. I'm going to be his best client ever. Yep. Like, I still just have that competitive mindset. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then as a coach, I think it's good to know. A lot of people are very scared about raising prices and charging what you should. And I totally get it. You know, like a lot of us may have, and I certainly did for years, a negative relationship with money. Like that comes from my childhood. I know what, why it is. And, and I can get into that if you want. But I know why it is. And I had to work through addressing that for a long time. But it's still challenging. And it's funny because we were working on something that I used to charge 15K for. And then I said, all right, it's going to be 25K. And he goes, dude, that's 50K minimal. What's wrong with you? And it was great just to have that you know, outside yes. perspective. But for two weeks, that was challenging for me to double it. And then this is the power of coaching, though. Two, day, day 15, I called him up and I go, how can it only be 50 grand? That doesn't make sense. And he goes, it's like giving it away. And he goes, I know it should be a hundred. And that's the power of having a coach. And, you know, because you can't change that way of thinking on your own. You need, you need to be around the right people and you need someone to push you out of your comfort zone, whether it's, you know, on the field, in the weight room, or just, you know, self-limiting beliefs or blocks around money, whatever it might be. You need those kind of people to do that for you. Yeah, it's, it's key. And you mentioned something about the limiting beliefs when you were younger. Could you unpack that a little bit? Because whether it be money or whether it be a relationship or anything, if you could unpack that, that I think will kind of help our listeners apply that to any arena that they're in right now. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so, so, I mean, I had so many self-limiting beliefs and false narratives. Probably the biggest one was like that I'm shy and quiet and introverted. You know, all these things that that's like a lot of my family was. And we, we kind of viewed the world as glass half empty. There was a lot of negativity. I mean, there's like kind of like that, 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 uh, stereotypical like Northeast, like aggressive New York shit, but you're always kind of like mad at everybody. There's a lot of screaming. <laughs> uh, what are you screaming about? Why are you asking me to, to pass a song? Yeah. You're yelling at me like yeah. it's an <laughs> Right, right. And I, you know, it was funny. Like I remember my twenties or something, uh, or even my early thirties. You know, that, that would kind of be my, still, still was my go-to. So I remember my mom saying one time, like, why are you getting so angry and screaming? I said, I don't know. I never learned how to have a regular conversation. This is how we always communicated, you know? <laughs> I thought this was normal. <laughs> I love you. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, a self-limiting belief that I had, you know, in addition to all those things, was that money was the root of all evil. Rich people were bad. It, just for whatever reason, a lot of people that I knew as a kid that I was surrounded with that had money were not the kind of people I wanted to be with. Like they were racist. They were like disrespectful to the waiter, the pu- person pumping your gas. Like they just like judged. I don't know that. I didn't like the way they treated people, the way they judged people, the way they spoke. And so I was like, well, that's all rich people, you know? So then if you have that belief, then of course you're going to repel money because it's something you think is bad. So you're going to limit. Even though, you know, financially I was successful, I could have been way more successful if I didn't have all those blocks. So it's worth addressing all those things. I mean, to this day, you know, and it's funny, it sounds crazy because nowadays, like someone who's 16 is obsessed with personal development, reading Thoreau, to the point where I think it's almost unhealthy, like this crazy world that we live in, you know, like just go be a kid. But I did not think about personal development until I was 33. Because of how life went, I was just grinding 15 hours a day. I didn't have time to think about personal development or changing. It was just like, dude, I'm training people all day. I'm working. I'm reading about business. I'm reading about training. I'm not going to think about or read about personal development. I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, if you're a Northeast Italian household, like nobody's meditating and trying to get better. (laughs) Like, 
You know what I mean? You're doing the same thing over and over again. Let's say that's Sopranos. So 33, I started on this journey. And as, of course, as you know, like the journey ends the day we get put in the ground. It's never over now. So every day, anytime I see like a self-limiting belief come up or an excuse come up, it's like, okay, how do we work through that? How do we work through that now? As opposed to 15 years ago, just being, oh, that's just how I am. Let's just keep going, you know? That's the definition of insanity, right? We just repeat the same thing. And I want everybody to listen to what you're saying because anybody that I've seen in business, when they've been in business long enough, they eventually come to this conclusion. They, whether it be Bedros, whether it be Ed Priscilla, whether it be Ed Milet, all these guys are incredibly successful, but they get to a certain place where, like you said, it's more about, it's more about more than the PL. It's about more than payroll. It's about more than having money in the bank. You start saying, there has to be something else here. And if you don't, then that's when you start feeling empty. That's when you self-sabotage. That's when you have even more limiting beliefs and then your money starts to trickle off. Because again, you feel powerful in this one area, but this other place that frankly, once we get better at that, we become better coaches, became better husbands, you know, better people to be around. But yet we have to come to that on our own. We can't have somebody tell us that we have to do it or say, yeah, this is what you should be doing because it's like, yeah, whatever, I'm not going to do that because right. up until this point, I've never thought it was important. When you, when you said P&L there, it made me think of a story. So, so my friend Mike, uh, I, he, he comes and does all my events with me. I've been fortunate enough to know him since he was like 13, 30 years now. But the, the funny thing about Mike was everything that's cool and trendy today, he was doing when he was 13. Like He was literally reading Thoreau. He was meditating. He was studying wow. Native American tracking. Like He was doing sweat lodges when he was 13. Sophomore year of high school, and we lived in Jersey where it gets to 10 degrees. He lived in the woods for one year. He built like a Native American, like debris hut and all these things. Like he was what? so ahead of his time, Jeez. you know? And so I bring Mike into events and um, he always blows people's minds. Like, who is this guy? Like he speaks and it's all these mic drop moments. And he's always, he's got these one-liners and these anecdotes. And people are like, dude, who's this Tony Robbins? Like, this is insane. And then and it's so funny because at the end of like a, a discussion one day, you know, he's blowing people's minds. And then someone had said KPI. Like somebody started talking about business. And at the end, Mike goes, what's KPI? <laughs> and everyone hits the floor cracking up because he has no idea about any of that stuff. But he's the happiest, like most self-actualized person you'll ever meet. And it's always a huge takeaway that they're like, you really don't know what that means. You don't know what ROI. Like he doesn't know these things. But he does, he makes good money. But like he focuses on, he doesn't focus on that stuff, you know? Yeah. And like you said, that's the power of a coach, right? That's the power of having somebody. It's like, listen, I want to focus on this one thing that I can just crush. I hire out my weaknesses. Come show yeah, exactly. me, come show me where I'm not able to do this. Or again, who is this KPI person and why have I not spoken yeah. <laughs> to them yet? Everybody seems to know who they are. It's like, yeah, it's actually a key performance indicator, guys. And we'll uh, talk more about that later. I told him it was the nineties rapper. <laughs> He's everywhere now. So yeah. And what I love about you too is again, you, you're the connector. You know, a lot of people, but it's because you're trying to help so many people. And when you were younger, you were saying that watching wrestling as a young man really kind of inspired you to, to be physically strong and to, to build yourself up. And now you're in a place where you're literally friends with a lot of these people. Can you give us kind of a little, I know that we don't have a whole lot of time, but yeah. So, I mean, as you can see, there's, there's Randy Savage, there's uh, the dynamite kid from British Bulldogs. You know, so I grew up obsessed with wrestling since uh, I was born in 74. I think 82 was when I got into wrestling obsessed ever since that day. So it's funny because, you know, nowadays, like, I'm trying to think the chronological order of how it happened. I met Tori Wilson through a friend and she came on the podcast and now she's a super close friend. 
And then I met, oh, so I just randomly in Venice on the beach one day ran into John Morrison and we just started talking. We hit it off. And so he's a really good friend of mine to this day. And then uh, at the gym one day, I ran into Becky Lynch, who went on to become like the biggest female superstar ever and made him at WrestleMania, first time ever. And she's one of my closest friends in the world. We hit it off immediately. And then I guess just through those three, you know, I got connected to everybody else and met everybody else and was able to have them over on the podcast and uh, develop relationships. And so it's kind of surreal now to be backstage, to be at the Hall of Fame. Like I remember we walked into the Hall of Fame dinner for the first time. And you go, this is in New Orleans, and we're kind of, um, whatever the, the basketball arena is there, like we, we go through the back entrance where the buses and everything come in, and we're kind of walking through this hallway. And then we go through this curtain. And when you walk through the curtain, there's maybe like a 50 by 50 area that was kind of sectioned off. Everyone in wrestling history is in there. Like there's Ricky Steamboat, and there's Ric Flair, and there's Mean Gene. Everybody's there. And I'm like, I'm losing my mind. Like Jen, my wife's trying to talk to me. And I go, Jenna, I haven't heard a word you said in like seven minutes. Wah, I'm having wah, 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 wah. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. This is insanity. I mean, it's funny because I was telling my mom that. And she's like, that's so crazy that that's, you know, your life now. Because she knew, like, she, she watched me watch wrestling every day forever and play with those guys in my bedroom, you know, and everything. So it's cool to be able to bring stuff like that to fruition. Like, it didn't just happen. Like, I didn't just win the lottery. Like, that was me getting better at connecting and building relationships and developing all those skills and reading books like How to Win Friends and Influence People and Never Eat Alone and becoming someone who offers value everywhere you go. That, that's important in building relationships. Like Friends of ours like Pedros or, or whoever will always talk about, anyone will talk about this. There, there's three things that regardless of the economy, everyone will always want to know. How to build a better body, how to make more money, and how to have, a, how to have better relationships and or... Uh, if you're single, like a single guy, how to have more sex. You know what I mean? So those three things are three things that I know a lot about. Like I've studied for years. Now, I didn't know about the relationships thing until I got to Cali, but I spent that 10 years working on that relentlessly, religiously, 24-7. I knew that was a huge weakness for me. So I read all those books and I prioritized. It became priority number one for years. So when I left the house in the morning, and I, and I, and I consciously put on the back burner, reading about training, reading about business, reading about personal development, anything else. It's how do I get better? How do I get out of my comfort zone and just build relationships, add value, and do things that I'm not comfortable doing, right? So, so every day, I would leave the house and I would kind of play my morning pump-up music and leave thinking like, okay, I'm, I'm the world's greatest superstar. And if I get in the elevator, I'll never be doing this, right? Looking at my phone, scroll. I'll be the guy who notices someone in the elevator, engages them, I look for something that I could compliment them on, comment on, maybe something, whatever. I'm going to engage because that was uncomfortable for me to do. Now it's the most comfortable thing in the world. But when I started this, it wasn't. If I'm at the checkout in Whole Foods, most people are on their phones. I'm going to look at them and say, George, how's your day going? What's going on? I'm going to read the guy's name. Like do that all the time. Prioritize that all the time. And then actually track it like you would track PRs in a gym or like you would track KPI or something like that, right? Where at the end of each day, okay, how many people did I engage? How many compliments did I have? How many uncomfortable conversations did I have? And I'm working on it day after day after day until it becomes more natural and it becomes something like anything else. Like there's an addictive nature of when you start to get good at something. Like if you just started playing golf and you suck, it's terrible. But if all of a sudden each week you're not going to stroke off, you're like, this is great. Or you're playing an instrument. Once you start getting better, you're like, this is awesome. Like you just get addicted to getting better. That's human nature. Humans are at their best when they're immersed in something deeply challenging. 
and especially, you know, making progress. So I was making progress on a daily basis. It became so addictive. I would build that into my week, which a lot of people don't do. So a lot of people believe that, yes, you can get a better shape. You can make more money. You can do all these things, but no one thinks that, oh, I can get better at building relationships or I can get better at being more confident in a room full of people. I can get better at working the room at a party. Like you just don't think that. That's like a self-limiting belief. Like that's how you were. That's how you're always going to be. And that's what I thought. And I, I, I knew I had to change that. I had to erase that. So I just, any system or practice I could develop for that, I did. I'm really able to now, it's almost like a superpower. Like if I want to connect with somebody, if I want to be friends with somebody, I can make it happen like that, which is crazy. And sometimes now it's almost like, like I joked around the other day, it took me 10 years to get there. But sometimes now it's like, oof, like <laughs> it gets a little exhausting. It's almost like I'm the only guy on the planet that could fly. So you would say, Jay, I'm running late. Can you just fly me over to the other side of town or something like that? So now all the time, the expectation is, hey, I, I know you know these 78 different people. Can you introduce me to them? And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like it, becomes, <laughs> it becomes very time consuming. At first, I love doing it. Sometimes it's like, man, I got so many things going on, but I'm still, I'm still going to do it. Like I'm joking around. I'm going to go out of my way to connect people and intro- introduce people because I love it because I know the power of like, like if I introduced you to Luca, and you and Luca became best friends, and I was phased out, I'd be totally cool with that. I just want what's best for everybody, you know? And, and there is, I, I just love that because I know the power of people. So I do want to connect people. But like I said, I think it changes your life probably more than anything else. The people you know and the people you surround yourself with. No, I absolutely agree. And it feels great, right? It feels great to connect people. It feels great yeah. to be like, again, sitting back and seeing you and Tony speaking. If I'd have been the one that connected you guys and just watching you all interact and just right. have a great time, it's like, totally. man, this feels amazing. Right. It's like, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they probably would have met each other anyway, but maybe not yet, or maybe not right now in this moment. And now you're able to be that catalyst in a positive way. Oh, dude, you nailed it. Right? Totally. And how hard dude, is that? I had a moment, and I've had these moments multiple times, but I had a moment where we had a Super Bowl party a few years ago. And there's probably 30 people in, in the living room watching the game. And my, my really close friend, Jay, comes up to me. And Jay, I randomly met on the beach because I went up to him and, and just we became friends. He thought I was trying to hit on him in LA. <laughs> And now he's one of my closest friends, but he comes up to me and he goes, dude, look at the people in this room. Like there's New York Times bestselling authors, there's pro athletes, there's pro wrestlers, there's actors, there's seven figure CEOs. He's like, they're all here. None of these people knew each other. They're all here because of you. You connected them all. Now they're all developing close personal relationships. Like you did this and you got here knowing nobody and actually kind of like teared up and got emotional. And I've had that happen a couple of times. And, you know, for, for a kid who got bullied and beat up and had like no friends. Like I really had no close friends for 30 years. I had people that came to the gym, like the people that I would go out to dinner with or the people that came to the gym, they were clients, you know? So, so for me to have that experience, crazy, dude. Amazing. I think it's also important. Like you're talking about at first, if you're trying to get outside your comfort zone to meet people or do whatever it is, it does feel like a KPI because it's so awkward, but once you start getting better at it and the, me- the mechanics of it, just like a lift or anything, then it becomes more natural. And then it's like breathing. And now you can put the emotion in it. So as opposed to being like this fake person that's like got a plastic smile and hi, I'm Jay, it becomes this very real thing. And, and people can, can sense that. And that's, I, I believe, because I've experienced it. I've seen it. Like when you were in the room, even when I saw you a few years ago, everybody, you were kind of like a magnet. Everybody just kind of came around. They wanted to hear what you had to say or what was going on or what you were talking about. To see that now and to see how far you've taken that, because let's face it, social media is fine. The web is fine. But in the grand scheme of things, if all that shit went away, what do you really have? 
Well, you have a true tribe, you have a true network, a true group of people that you know in real life that you can continue to help, continue to influence, continue to train, continue to build with. And I think that a lot of people forget about that, especially today where they think that a vanity metric or how many of these or how much of this do I have? And at the end of the day, that doesn't really mean anything. And that's right. why it's you make the priority the priority, which is that person, which is that interaction, which is the quality of whatever that is, as opposed to blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to do this, this, and this. It's like, eh, is that really going to help you? Is it really going to get you yeah. where you want to go? Yep. So that's the key. Listen, my friend, I want to put a bow on this now because I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for everything. Can you tell us? Thank you. Tell us about um, Relentless 90. You've got something coming up. It'll be October 4th. And this probably will be out around that time anyway. So tell us a little bit about that and where can we learn more about it? So what we're doing is for the last several years, I didn't really have anything but kind of really high price coaching available. You know, for years I had, I had books and things like that, but we, for whatever reason, we, we pulled a lot of that stuff down. And I think a, it's, it's due to the state of the world. And B, you know, I, I do like helping a lot of people. I mean, there's, there's something awesome, as we've discussed, about having that close personal relationship with, with one-on-one clients and things like that. But we're doing something new where it's going to be way more affordable. And it's going to be a, a shorter-term thing. So the program's called Relentless. Oh, uh, it's tattooed on my forearm. The website's going to be Relentless90. And it's just going to be, it's going to be a really simple program, which I think, you know, that goes back to what we're talking about at the beginning about simplicity, about removing things, about the Bruce Lee. It's more about extraction or subtraction rather than addition. So I want to help people just lock in five daily habits. There's no, like, I'm not teaching you any secrets or anything like that. There's nothing crazy about it. It's really simple. But if you can do these five things, it'll change your life. And it's like, again, there's nothing complex about it. It's not 17 things, it's five things. And we're going to just, you know, it's going to be a challenge. We're going to go all out. And the, the cool thing about it is if you do these five things on a daily basis, which I do, but, you know, like anybody, I, I'm going to fall off here and there. I'm going to have some cheat meals. I'm going to do whatever. But if you could lock in, if you could master your training and your nutrition and just a few simple things for your mindset and do it for 90 days and stack these wins, like it seems simple, but you know, the accumulation of doing that over time. It's so like if you watch any sport whatsoever, there's always going to be analogies about playing small ball and basics and defense wins games. Like it's always the basics. You know, I'll always refer to Bruce Lee and things like that. If you could do these simple things, what, what I love about it is it eliminates the need for so many other things. Meaning that if you can lead yourself and just do these five simple things, keep these promises to yourself every day, you don't have to read 10 different books on leadership. 10 different books on time management because time management is going to be something that you get really good at because you got to get your workouts and you got to lock in your nutrition. You got to meditate. You got to read each day. You got to do these things. So it eliminates a lot of those things that you don't have to do just by doing these simple things each day. And the thing is, I'm going to be there with you every day. We're going to get on a live call every week. I'll have other coaches in there. And again, it's really, it's nothing secret. It's nothing that you can't find out for free. It's not that I won't tell you for free. It's just, are you going to do it? I think, obviously, I think my workouts are better than, than anyone else, right? But can you do these things? So you need the support system. You need a coach. You need a mentor. You need accountability. You need that tribe. And we talked so much on, on this episode, on this podcast about the, the power of tribe. So if you're going to have those like-minded guys getting together and turning themselves into savages in 90 days. And I think that that's the key. Like you said, if it was a question of having enough information, 
we'd all be millionaires and have six packs, right? But accountability, having a person who knows what the hell they're talking about and having a group of people that are driven and relentless in this pursuit, yeah. that's key. I love that idea of absorbing what is useful, discarding what is useless, yep. adding what is specifically your own from Bruce Lee. And you're absolutely correct. The monumental is made from incremental changes. And that's what you're all about. Tell us your website, tell us Instagram, tell us all the things. So j.fit, Instagram is at jperugia, Renegade Radio podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And then again, the, the new program will be relentless90.com. Awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait for that. And I can't wait to come see you Oh yeah, in a couple of months. So thank you so much for being here again and uh, keep crushing it, brother. Hell yeah, brother. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.